Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The First Commandment, Loving God. And this is lesson number two. And in this, we talked about the last lesson, the, the, the greatest commandment, and the greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God. With King James says, with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The Greek word there for all is not the Greek word pause for all, but is the word that is literally, totally all, nothing left out. So here is the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with the whole of your heart, the whole of your soul, with the whole of your mind, with the whole of your strength. This is the commandment of God. But again, as I taught in the last lesson, the critical situation is here. Do I know the one I'm believing in? Do I know the one I'm trusting in? Do I know the one that I am obeying? Or the title of this lesson is, Do We Really Know Jesus? I am reading from 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. And now, the writer of this epistle, John, is called the Apostle of Love. Well, I believe anybody writing about God is the apostle of love or is writing from a perspective of love. But some some consider Paul and Peter harsh and John so loving and kind. And so I'm reading you words from this sweet, gentle, kind, loving apostle, John. First John chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. It's Apostle of John talking now. Apostle John, the Apostle of love. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Apostle of love talking now. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought also to walk even as he, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, walked. Now, (laughs) this is some pretty strong language. I'm reading now from the easy to read version. uh, 1 John 2, verse 3. Uh... If we obey what God has told us to do, then we are sure that we know him. If we say we know God, but do not obey his commandments, we are lying. The truth is not in us. But when we obey God's teaching, his love is truly working in us. This is how we know that we are living in him. If we say we live in God, we must live the way Jesus lived. And then, The Amplified Version says this, verse 3, And this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know Him, to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with Him. That's the Amplified. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, and practice His teachings, His precepts, and commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, I perceive, recognize, understand, and am acquainted with him, but fails to keep and obey his commandments, his teachings, is a liar. And the truth of the gospel is not in him. 
But he who keeps or treasures his word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his message in its entirety, truth in him has the love, truly in him has the love of and the, and for God been perfected, completed, reached maturity. By this we may perceive, know, recognize, and be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought as a personal debt to walk and conduct himself in the same way in which he walked and conducted himself. Now, finally, I want to read from Weiss' expanded translation these same same verses. Verse 3, And in this we know experientially that we have come to know him experientially. Not experimentally, but experientially. We know him not just intellectually, but we know him because we have experienced him in knowing him. Uh, that we have come to know him experientially and are in the state, in that state at present. If, if we are continually having a solicitous, watchful care in safeguarding his precepts by obeying them. This speaks of a very careful regard in making sure that we're obeying his commandments. He who keeps on saying, I have come to know him experientially, and as a present result, am in that state, and his precepts is not habitually safeguarding with solicitous care, is a liar. And in his, in this one, the truth does not exist. So the person that is a Christian, but is very, very casual, about the word of God and very casual about keeping the commandments of God. He says he, he can say he's a Christian all he wants, but the apostle John, the apostle of love says, you're a liar. That nobody that knows Jesus and loves Jesus is casual or careless about the word of God and about keeping the commandments of God. Nobody. Because if you're casual and careless, Instead of focused upon and, and giving in, in, an intent, uh, 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 searching and desire and giving yourself to God wholly. So not a W, not H O L Y, but W H O L L Y, giving ourselves to God wholly so that we can obey Him and all of His Word and so that He can correct us and teach us and bring us to maturity in Him and in obedience to His Word then we're a liar. The truth is not in us. So it doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter how faithful you are with your tithes. It doesn't matter how separated you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how obedient you are to the pastor. If you don't know and love God to the point that seeking, reading His Word and seeking Him and giving yourself wholly to Him is your desire of life, then you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. And if that's the case, then you are not saved. Now, the good news is you can repent. And you can ask God to forgive you. And you can begin to seek Him and give yourself to Him. But so what I'm teaching is not for the purpose of sending anybody from hell. I'm teaching this for the purpose of helping you not go to hell. Because Christianity today, even among Pentecostals and apostolics, is 
in so many places is is much more of a as long as you're faithful to church and with your tithes and obeying the pastor and keeping the rules of appearance. You, we're gonna leave you alone. You're doing good. We're gonna leave you alone. Doesn't matter how you live the rest of your life. You will leave you alone. We're not gonna bother you. We might say something to you to offend you, and you'll leave. You won't come back anymore. You won't pay your tithes anymore. So we're not going to challenge you to obey the greatest commandment and love God. We're not going to do that. Ooh, no, no, no. Might hurt our crowd. God have mercy on us. That's blind leading the blind right there. That's what blind leading the blind is all about. Any man of God that's not calling the people of God to a relationship with God, and I don't have a relationship with God if I'm not... Seeking his face and studying the word and seeking the grace of God to be able to give myself wholly to him in obedience to his word. Uh, that's not preaching salvation doctrine. That's not salvation doctrine. It's being preached. If anybody that's allowed to sit on our seats and we love them, we love, we're loving on them, but we don't love them enough to tell them the whole truth and challenge where they are. Now, they're going to hear that on the Great White Throne Judgment Day because they're not going to heaven. Because beginning doesn't save you. It's the end that saves you. He that endureth unto the end, same shall be saved. 1 Peter 1.9, receiving the end or the completion, the maturity of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So build your crowd. Build your crowd. Tiptoe around people in the, their lifestyle, especially those that are given good money faithfully. Let, leave them alone. Let them live like they want to live and let them live in deception and believe they're okay with God. I mean, Jesus, a rich man came to Jesus, a young man. Think of all that the Lord could have done with and through him if he would have just submitted. But the Lord knew the idolatry of his heart. He said he kept all the commandments from his youth. But the Lord knew the idolatry of his heart. And the Lord said to him, uh, you want to, you, you, you've kept all the commandments, fine, then go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the man went away sorrowfully because he was very rich. And he wasn't willing to part with his God to have the God. And how many people are sitting on our seats? I'm not even talking about all those out there that are lost. I'm talking about the lost sitting on our seats that we're letting them believe they're okay. Because they're not obeying the commandment. Loving God with our whole being, knowing who God is, understanding who God is, and loving God as evidenced by giving our whole being to him and keeping his commandments. And if we sin or fail in any of that, to whatever degree, we immediately confess it and let the Lord forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we get up and we go back to seeking him with our whole heart and obeying his word with our whole heart. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. We don't let people lay in that condition of not obeying the word of God. Well, you know, I don't believe we have to do anything to be saved. Absolutely we don't. Obeying the commandment doesn't earn us anything. It only demonstrates the presence of saving faith. Luke chapter 17, verse 10, Jesus said, and I'm not going to take the whole teaching he did there, just the summation. 
say we are unprofitable servants because uh, if if uh, if we keep his commandments, we have to say we are unprofitable servants because we've done that which was our duty to do. Obeying the commandments doesn't profit us at all. Obeying the commandments is only a manifestation of the presence of the love of God in our life and saving faith in our life. It's just a manifestation. It's, it's not doing something to earn something. But the doing is the outward evidence of the inward Love of God abiding and the faith of God abiding in us and of our submission of our whole being to Him. Amen. Verse 5 in Weiss, But whoever habitually with a solicitous care is keeping His word truly in this one the love of God has been brought to its completion with the present result that it is in that state of completion. In this we have an experiential knowledge that we are in Him. He who is constantly saying that he as a habit of life is living in close fellowship with dependence upon Him is morally obligated just as that one conducted himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and also himself in the manner spoken of to be conducting himself. Now, I'm going to read Weiss again. Because while Weiss is a little awkward reading because he tries to bring the full flavor of the Greek word and the Greek uh, grammar into the English language so we get the full force of the words, both what they mean and how they were used and what they're saying to us. It's a little awkward, so I want to read it again. Because this is this is very straightforward stuff, but it's also very practical stuff. To too many people, theology is more theory than practical, uh, and it's also not viewed as being able to be uh, applied to our lives. Too many believe that theology cannot be uh, practically applied to our daily lives. That's a lie from the pits of hell. True theology, true word of God is always able to be applied to our lives, just not by us. We have to be willing for it to. We have to cooperate with God. But His Spirit of love, His Spirit, Spirit, His grace is what applies it in our lives if we give ourselves to Him by the grace of God for Him to work these things out in us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are His workmanship in Christ Jesus created unto good works. So the good works that He does in and through us doesn't earn us anything, but it demonstrates the, the first of all that He is present in us. Second of all, it demonstrates that we are in Him. Third, it demonstrates that we have the love of God. We know who He is and we have the love of God in us. And fourth, it demonstrates that we desire to give our whole being to Him 
as evidenced by us keeping his word. So, again, we verse 3. And in this we know experientially that we have come to know him experientially and are in that state at present, the experiential relationship with God. Not intellectual, I know God, I believe, I believe in God. Uh, not that, not that, or I've read about God. Uh, I acknowledge there's a God. No. None of those things are biblical faith or relationship. In this we know experientially that we have come to know Him experientially and are in that state at present, an experiential relationship with Him. How do we know we know Him experientially and that we've come to know Him experientially and that we are in that state of experiential relationship at present? If we are continually having a solicitous, watchful care in safeguarding His precepts by obeying them. Verse 4. He who keeps on saying, I have come to know him experientially, and as a present result am in that state, and his precepts, God's precepts, is not habitually safeguarding with solicitous care, is a liar. Anybody can say, I know God. I believe in God. I got saved in faith. I'm a Christian. But, the old, I don't even know re, really what where this came from, what it means, but I'm going to use it. It's old. The proof is in the pudding. What is the proof? If all that's true, according to the word of God, I am demonstrating what I say is there by my careful seeking of and giving myself to the obedience of the word of God. Jesus said, ye are my disciples if you continue in my word. But John says, the apostle of love says, if I am not carefully, prayerfully, giving myself to God to obey his word, I'm a liar if I say I'm a Christian. I'm a liar if I say I'm saved. I'm a liar if I say I have the love of God in me. And John goes so far, just this far. He goes even farther than just saying we're a liar. And in this one, the truth does not exist. Doesn't exist. Because according to Jesus and John and Peter and Paul, according to the Spirit of the Lord, it's not possible to truly know the Lord experientially. Have his love in you have received his love, have faith in him, and not want to give myself to him wholly. Now, that doesn't mean I'm doing it perfectly right now. Paul acknowledged in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. To will is present with me, but how to find out how to do what I will, I find not. And then finally he comes down and says, Oh, oh uh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So it is possible to have the love of God in you and want to do the things of God and yet find yourself at times not doing them. 
But if the love of God is in you, and if faith in God is in you, even, even when I go through those periods, when I am missing the mark, which is the literal definition of the Greek word translated sin, I'm missing the mark. I'm not living up to the desires that God has put in me toward Him. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to know that the love of God is able to bring me out of this pit I found myself in and get me back on the, the path and in, in the experiential relationship with Him again. The righteous man falls seven times he gets up again. Now, I believe that word seven times is not a literal number. I think it's trying to say, the, the word of God is trying to let us know, you're in the flesh. In fact, First John, in the previous chapter to this, in John 1, John said, if any man say that he has not sinned, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if any man sin, we have a advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So the Lord acknowledges that even with the love of God in me, because of this, there will be times that I'm not going to do this perfectly. And part of the purpose of Him allowing that is to keep us reminded that we cannot save ourselves. That we need a Savior every moment of every day. That we will never get spiritual enough that we don't need a Savior. So He allows us to have to confront ourselves and see just really what we are. But He doesn't do that to cast us down, to destroy us. Anytime I subconsciously begin to trust myself again and try to do righteousness to earn his righteousness or to take credit for what he is doing through me, I'm going to fail. He's going to let it. He's going to let it happen. I've told this story many times, but my wife and I had two sons that lived and, uh, it was uh, quite an experience raising boys. I, I found that when our first grandchild was a girl, I didn't know much about girls. In fact, when my first, when my oldest son got married and we had a, a daughter in the house now, uh, I realized then I didn't know much about females. I knew Alice Wright, but I didn't know women in general. I knew her. And so, uh, raising a son was an experience. And uh, even before they could walk, you would hold them up by the hand and they're standing on their feet. And and you're kind of half dragging them along to get them to understand they need to put their feet ahead of each other so that they don't fall. But it's not long that you begin to feel the tug that says, I got this. Let me, let me, let me show you I got this. Let go. And I'm thinking to myself, kid. Do you not understand the only reason you're standing is because I'm holding you up? No, here comes the tug. Okay, okay. You want to show me what you can do? I know what's going to happen, but let's let you see what's going to happen. And you turn loose of the hand. And the next thing you know, wham, they fall down. And you know what they do? They don't. Go, oh, I fell. Forgive me for asking you to let go. They look at you up, up, up at you like, what did you do? 
And when, when we fail God, what do we do? We look up at God, you let me down. You fail me. How could I fall? It's all your fault. But it's not his fault. Anytime I want to try to do this for him, live for him, work for him, instead of him doing it through me, I am going to make a mess of things. Because Jesus said, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And it never will profit anything. So if I want to know him, I have to give myself to him without reservation. I have to give myself to him without reservation. So let me ask you the question in light of today. Do you really know Jesus? And if your answer is no, then do you want to? He wants you to know him more than you will ever want to know him. So there's never a point in time, well, I guess he doesn't want me. He wants you. The question is, you want him. Or if your answer is, I don't know him like I want to know him or like I need to know him, then why don't you fix that today? Why don't you, this lesson's almost over with, why don't you find some place to pray and repent and say, Lord, I want your love working in me both so I can know you, but also so that it will motivate me and empower me to seek you and to give my whole self to you. I can't do that myself. So if your love will empower me to give my whole self to you, that's called grace. God's love empowering me by his spirit to give my, to do anything through me is called grace. That grace is the operation of the love of God through the, me, the agency of the spirit of God working in my life to empower me to do what I can't and to empower me to not do what I can't not do. And that's what the love of God does. And that's called grace. And if you are not where you want to be, or as this lesson has challenged you to be, then a prayer meeting is in order. And he's waiting to hear. The Lord Jesus Christ is waiting right now to hear your prayer. And He, if you will pray earnestly and give yourself to him earnestly, he will respond to you right now to help you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you will receive the grace of God, the love of God operating in working in you by his spirit to empower you to be able to give yourself to God like you cannot do through your own ability, your own strength, your own desire. God will give you the desire and then he will activate in you the ability to do what you have resolved to do. Philippians 2.13, it is God which worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Receive the grace of God today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.